0: Right, it's good to see you this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1. Now, I know, uh, even if I, as I've said that, uh, if you've been around for the past month, you're like, um, Brandon, I don't know if you notice, fourth week in a row that you've said Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark has 16 chapters, and you just started doing the math in your head, right? And you're like, um, how, how long are we planning on being in the book of Mark? So don't worry, Uh, after this Sunday we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. But here's why we have spent so much time in Mark chapter 1. Because Mark, in his introduction in chapter 1, is telling us a lot about who Jesus is. Maybe you haven't seen it as we've gone along, but really Mark has structured this almost like an interview. Almost like if someone were to sit down and they had 15 minutes to find out about someone great, the questions that would be asked. So week one, it opens up. Tell us about yourself. And so we learn who Jesus is, that Jesus is this king who's been promised from long ago that he is both good and God. And then we saw in week two, well, what do you want to accomplish? What's your goal? And we found out that Jesus came to proclaim the good news that the king has arrived, and with the king arriving, that God is going to set all things right. And that news then came with a response, that we should repent and believe or trust in this new king, that we should turn from whatever we're trusting in and embrace Jesus as king. And then week three, that's great news. How do people get in on this? So then we have this story from Mark about how Jesus invites his followers to come after him, but there is a catch. Jesus' followers have to sacrifice. And so then that's where we pick up in the story today. We have met this good king who has got himself in person, come to set things right, who has invited us to repent of other kings that we've trusted in and believe in him, invited us to be his followers by sacrificially following after him, And now, now week four, we go, well, why should I buy this? Why should this be a message or a guy that I want to follow, right? I mean, it makes sense in the context of the chapter. So far, it's like, starts off, Jesus is king. He's come to set things right. That sounds good. It requires something of you. You have to change your mind about what you're trusting in. This is sounding less good. Oh, if you want to follow Jesus, what it looks like is leaving things behind, sacrificially coming after him. This is not sounding as good as verse 1, right? And so then the question in Mark's readers' minds, and perhaps the question in your mind over the course of the series, is like, well, why would I do this? What makes Jesus unique? Why would I be interested in this? And so this is the question that Mark is answering today. Really, we could phrase it like this. How did Jesus become famous? With this message, and now he's got four fishermen followers, how in the world did this become a message and a group and a movement that people wanted to jump on board with? How was Jesus famous? How did this movement begin to spread? And that's what we're going to find in Mark chapter 1 today. Start in verse 21. For they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So Mark starts a story. He gives us the first scene. He's going to give us three scenes. Here's the first one. The first scene is of Jesus and now with his four disciples traveling to a place called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum kind of becomes a little bit of a home base for Jesus' ministry all throughout the Gospel of Mark. What you need to know about Capernaum is a port city. So there's Jews there, there's Gentiles there, and there's also a lot of Roman officials and soldiers in the city. So this is now going to become like a little bit of a home base where Jesus is going to operate his ministry out of. And he, on arriving, goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, this is the Jewish Sabbath. And so the Sabbath is Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown. And so during the day on Saturday, Jesus gets up with his disciples and he goes to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue is a local center of worship and religious education. It's not the temple, there's one temple, and that temple is in Jerusalem, but at any community where there were 10 or more Jewish men, they would start these synagogues, which would just be a local center for worship and religious education. And so Jesus takes his now four disciples, and they go to the synagogue on this Saturday morning, and Jesus begins to teach. Now, here's what happens. As Jesus begins to teach, Mark tells us that the people in the crowd were astonished or amazed. Probably very similar to the experience you have whenever you come to Mercy Hill on a Sunday morning or you tune in online, you leave going, I was so amazed. Brandon said something even dumber this week than he did last week, right? No, that's not really what's going on here. They're shocked at Jesus's ability to teach, why? Well, Mark tells us, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So Mark introduces this comparison. He says what's happened is in the synagogue, the people have been listening to teachers. These teachers are known as scribes. Now, the scribes in this day are people who are experts in Moses' law, the Mosaic law found in the Old Testament. And so they're somewhat moral leaders, somewhat religious leaders, kind of like lawyers or a professor. And so these guys are teaching the people week in and week out. And Mark shows a little comparison. He's like, Jesus' teaching is not like those guys' teaching, is different. And everybody is responding that Jesus has this sense of authority. Now, the word authority here carries with it uh, out of the, this idea of out of the original stuff. So this is what the people are saying. They're amazed because when Jesus teaches, it sounds like truth from the very mind or heart of God, not something that's being repeated by someone else. Now, um, sometimes I give movie illustrations here. I'm gonna give an old one, and I'm also going to say, I don't recommend this movie. So if you haven't seen it, don't be go watching it and saying, "My pastor said this movie's awesome." All right, but there is a scene that illustrates this point well in *Goodwill Hunting*. Anybody seen that movie, *Goodwill Hunting*? You don't have to admit that. All right, okay. Yeah, it's a great. It's a great movie. Uh, also has a ton of profanity all the way through it, so this is not like family movie night material. Okay. But if you've seen it, there's a scene where Will, Matt Damon's character, is in a bar and he and his buddies are trying to pick up some girls. And to embarrass them, another guy who's a college student starts spouting off all of this stuff, seemingly intellectual knowledge, and to embarrass Will and his friends. And so then what happens is Matt Damon's character who is a genius and nobody knows it at the time, starts quoting the pages that the guy is pulling the stuff off of from the source material, right? He goes, oh yeah, I know where you got that. So and so, page 13. And then we'll do the rest of it. And he does it to him several times. Now this illustrates the difference between the scribes teaching and Jesus' teaching. This is what the people are saying. The scribes know what they've read by experts And they're teaching just from a page in somebody else's book. But when Jesus shows up and starts teaching, it feels very different. His authority comes from somewhere different. So here's the first thing that we see if you're taking notes. Number one, that Jesus has authority in his teaching. This teaching is grabbing people's attention. Not necessarily because of the flashy stories or great hooks, but because it has authority. It carries weight. It's superior, Mark is saying, even to the best trained teachers of the day. And people are talking about his teaching. So how did this guy, with kind of a crazy message, who demands a lot of his followers, end up becoming famous? Well, one thing is because his teaching is like nothing that anyone had ever heard before. And he went, this is like the original stuff. This is the real deal. We want to hear more of this. This is vastly different from the way that we disseminate information today, right? The how to get your content out now is way more important than what the content is. Today, someone would come along Jesus and go, hey man, you got some great content, let me brand this for you. Let me teach you how to trick the Facebook algorithm so you can get all of this out there and people could get their minds on it and see and read it. But Jesus doesn't need that because it's his content. It's what he's saying. It carries unbelievable weight. So the first scene we get from Mark, Jesus' teaching has authority. Scene number two, verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So here's the scene. A man enters a synagogue. The writer, Mark, points out that it's their synagogue, not his synagogue. And so he obviously doesn't belong here. And people are shocked that this guy walks into the middle of the synagogue. He has what Mark says is an unclean spirit. Now, what are we talking about there? We are talking about a demon. Mark uses those phrases interchangeably. And I know right now, some of you highly educated college students at Kennesaw State or whatever like, come on, seriously? We talking about demons at church today? This is getting weird. We never talked about demons at church before, right? Here's the deal, Uh, we are, all right? And let's be clear about what we're talking about, okay? The Bible doesn't have much to say about this spiritual realm that looks like what you've seen in movies, okay? That's not really the picture that the Bible paints. Instead, the Bible does say that coinciding with the human rebellion against God all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, there was also a spiritual rebellion against God. That when God created the physical world, God had also created a spiritual world. The spiritual world had spiritual beings. And in that world, some of those spiritual beings also rebelled against God. And those spiritual beings are active in our day and time in order to manipulate and deceive people. That what's happening in this rebellion is there are spiritual forces at work all around us in order to trick or deceive us into continually having our hearts set against God. Does that make sense? You're like, no, that doesn't make sense. Right. Now, here's the thing. We don't know exactly the symptoms this guy has. We don't, Mark doesn't tell us, Right. He doesn't tell us that it looks like the exorcists, you know, nobody's head is spinning around, anything like that. Instead, we just have this very real concept from the Bible that there is a spiritual realm, and there are spiritual beings in that spiritual realm who are still in rebellion set against God, and they act in ways in our current world in order to deceive us and to continue to have our hearts set against God. So, don't freak out, all right? Don't freak out. But also, is something that we need to be aware of. Now, here's the teaching point, though. And this is what's important from the passage. This guy with this unclean spirit confronts Jesus. Evidently, the spirit is speaking in some way and says, what do you have to do with us? Why are you meddling us? Why are you here? To which I think I would say, why are you here? Right? Like, I'm here teaching the Bible to people in the synagogue. Why did you show up here? Right? And he calls Jesus by two different names. Did you catch this? Calls him Jesus of Nazareth, which is how everybody else in the crowd would have identified. There's this guy, Jesus, and this is his hometown. But he also then says, I know who you really are. You're the holy one of God. Or I know that you are God in person, that there is something unique about you that even the spirit that's in rebellion against God gets this connection when Jesus comes on the scene that he is both fully man, he is Jesus from Nazareth, and he is also God in person. So he says, why have you come to meddle with us? Have you come to destroy us? Now, the word destroy here doesn't mean to annihilate us. It means to ruin us. In other words, have you shown up in this time to thwart our plans of the continuing rebellion against you as the true king? And then this is what Jesus says, be silent and come out of it. Now, I don't know if you've watched any of these crazy, like, I don't like scary movies. I'm going to be straight with you guys, all right? That kind of stuff freaks me out. Like, I don't like it, all right? But I don't know if you've watched this movie, like, all there's, like, incantations and spells and rituals and all this stuff not with Jesus do you notice what he does he just speaks all through the scripture the power of God is expressed in the spoken word Genesis chapter 1 what happens God speaks the earth into existence and here is Jesus in this moment speaking saying very clearly you cannot talk anymore and you're done. Here's what Mark wants us to see. Regardless of how we sort out what demons are and how they work and all these crazy questions that we talk about, here's what he wants us to see. Is that Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm too. Jesus has authority in his teaching, but Jesus also has authority over the spiritual realm. The things going on behind the scenes that we don't often see. That this spirit responds to him, no complaining, no backtalk, no difficulty, no attempt at deception whatsoever, but the immediate obedience. Imagine, his enemy, someone set against the work of this true king, obeys immediately. Why? Because Jesus has authority over that realm as well. Now, we could get lost and trying to ferret out all these differences and unpacking this crazy thing. I don't want us to do that today. Here's what I want you to see clearly, that this is about Jesus' authority. Which is why in verse 27, they're all amazed. And they say, this new teaching with authority, he even commands these unclean spirits. He's got authority even there. So it's scene number two here, scene number three, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So here's what happened. Same day. They leave the synagogue, this crazy experience with this guy. They head home to Peter's house. Evidently, it seems as though Peter has bought a house in Capernaum. His family is living there, and his house is the home base for Jesus' ministry. So they're going back to Peter's house, Simon's house. goes by both names in the Scripture. His mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus grabs her by the hand, and the fever immediately leaves her. Now, what's going on here? So Jesus' teaching has authority. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. And then also Mark wants to point out and be very clear, Jesus also has authority over the physical world. The way your biology works is under Jesus' authority. That he commands cells and microbes and they respond to what he demands for them to do. Now, I want to make sure I point out something very clear. It says that Simon's mother-in-law goes back serving them. And some of you jokers would use this as some sort of fool to prove your male chauvinism, right? And you'd be like, hey, look, Jesus heals this lady, and she starts cooking, like, dinner and making sandwiches and stuff, all right? Time out. That's not what's going on here. Here's what Mark wants you to know. That she is healed to the point that she can immediately start doing what she would normally be doing. That's the point, Not justification for your weird position about women and whatever, right? Instead, it is, thank you, Gladys. If you didn't hear that online, it was amazing. That's why you should come in person. What happens here is that she immediately returns to doing what she was doing before. She is completely healed. And Jesus has then in scene three the authority over the physical world. And so his fame starts to spread, right? Jesus can teach in a way we've never heard. Jesus commands even the spiritual world. And Jesus is healing people of their sickness. And so then, verse 32, "'The evening at sundown they brought to him "'all who were sick and oppressed by demons, "'and the whole city was gathered together at the door, "'and he healed many who were sick with various diseases "'and cast out many demons.'" And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This, Mark's saying, is how the movement got started. This is how Jesus got famous. This is how people started talking about him and longing to follow him because Jesus established this authority that people had never seen before. This then takes us all the way back to week one. What's happening in this passage is the same thing that we saw at the beginning of chapter 1 in Mark, is this. The good news is that Jesus is the true king, and he has come to set all things right. You go, well, how do I know he's the true king? Because have you ever seen anybody do this? Man, there's been a lot of great world leaders. There's been a lot of powerful people. There's been a lot of people who can accomplish unbelievable things, but Mark is just saying the reason people are still talking about Jesus is because you ain't never seen anybody do anything like this in one day. So the big idea today, let's put all this together. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Jesus, the true king, has authority that extends from microscopic human cells to the vast spiritual realm and to the depths of the human heart. That Jesus, the true king, has authority that extends from microscopic human cells to the vast spiritual realm to the depths of the human heart. We've been talking a lot using this word authority. Let's define it real quick. Authority is a power or the right to give orders, make decisions, or demand obedience. And Mark wants you and I to see clearly that Jesus is different. He's not just a typical religious teacher. He's not someone with some good ideas or a compelling message. He doesn't just have a lot of YouTube followers, right? He doesn't just, he's in like an Instagram fame. He's not insta-famous. Instead, the reason he is famous is because he is altogether different. That when he commands, people respond. When he commands, demons respond. When he commands, Viruses respond at the power of his word. Now, we don't like the word authority. Many of us often bristle at even the mention of authority. Part of the human experience and most definitely a part of American culture is casting off authority and a great suspicion of authority. This extends to all areas of our lives. Church, our belief system, our parents, teachers, workplace. But often what happens is you and I just trade one authority for another. In our careers, we leave the fast-paced, results-driven boss so that we can have the laid-back one. Or we leave the easy-going family business with one with more structure and stability and health benefits. Or we leave the corporate job with all of its meetings and reports in order to start our own job and be our own authority. And then we find out, all that means is that we just become the one who's making everyone else fill out reports, right? It's so a TPS reports. you got to get those things in. In our family, often teenagers, we stop listening to our parents, but we just find a new authority in our friends. When it comes to church, we leave the charismatic church for the more reformed church, or we leave the A-type driven pastor for the gentler, friendlier one, or we leave uh, the more pastoral pastor uh, for the one who really wants to grow the church and be on the cutting edge of innovation, or we leave the confines of orthodoxy for a new expression of faith, and then we leave that expression of faith for something that's more grounded in the past, and then we leave that more grounded expression of faith to just talking about Jesus with our spouse every other Sunday. What are we doing? Just constantly trading authorities. In our longing to push back against authorities, what you and I most often do is just decide we just need a new or different authority. In our current age and time, our current cultural moment, we're talking a lot about authority because we have seen repeatedly people abuse authority. It's especially difficult and painful when the authority is someone that we trust when it's a parent or a husband or a long-term boss or a leader at our church or even a pastor. And so it often also compounds this need to rebel against authority with this seeing the fractures in all of our earthly authorities that can distort our understanding of the way that families are supposed to fu- supposed to function, how businesses should be run, and how churches are supposed to work. Maybe when it comes to our relationship of with authority, the best way we can phrase it is it's just as complicated, right? Sometimes we want authority, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we need it, sometimes we love rebelling against it. Sometimes we desire to be under it, and sometimes we can't wait to be without it. Good authority we've seen can cause us to flourish, but bad authorities can crush us. And Mark, I think, is asking us this question. What if the solution, which goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, our distrust, a need to rebel against authority, Mark is asking this. What if the solution isn't overthrowing all authority, but what if the solution is putting our lives under the right authority? What if what we've been searching for this entire time is the right king? the trustworthy king the one we could place our lives under his authority for most of us the authority in our lives is just us we make our own decisions we choose our own path we decide for ourselves and we do it in three real simple ways we do it in reason with reason we believe that what we think about something should be the authority which is why your Facebook feed is totally insane. Because everybody believes that the way that they think about something is the best way to think about something, and not only do they think that they're putting their own authority in front of themselves, but then you should obey them as well. The second way that we often make ourselves our own authority is by our experience. We often think that what we have seen is what is always true. And that our experience should dictate the way that we respond and the way that everybody else responds. And then some of us, our authority is just in a tradition, which means we think that our authority lies in just the way we've always done it. And so we make decisions often just under our own authority. This is what I think. This is what I've seen. This is what we've always done. But here... Mark is confronting us with the authority. The true king. The true king who speaks and sells obey. The true king who speaks over the spiritual realm. The true king that teaches in a way that captures our hearts. The authority. So then the invitation is... Are you going to move from trusting in yourself as your own authority to trusting in Jesus, the true king? Now, this is especially difficult for us right now because we are walking as a global community through COVID. And if you're not asking this question, you should be. How does Jesus decide when to use his authority? Or another way to phrase that question would be this Why didn't Jesus use this authority when it was my friend who was sick? Or why didn't Jesus use this authority in my particular situation? That's a question we should all be asking. So I think to answer that question, I have to give you a big picture and then come back to your particular. Big picture is this. Even in the scripture, Jesus doesn't heal everyone. Even in the scripture, what we see, Jesus is not actively seeking out to make every single situation resolved in the way that people want it to be resolved. And so we see that even in the stories of the gospels, and we see that extending all the way to now, what we do see is that in this story, is that Jesus is breaking in this new kingdom of God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But Jesus is giving us a little taste. This is what it looks like when all things are set right. When all things are set right, we don't have people not teaching the truth. When all things are set right, we don't have sickness and disease. And when all things are set right, we're not going to have this rebellion in the spiritual world that affects you and me. But the picture is that this is breaking in. This is like a foretaste, an appetizer of what will be one day. And so Jesus is giving us a taste of this kingdom in Mark chapter 1. And even in some ways in our lives today... With the promise that we will have a full understanding of the truth. With the promise that we will fully be free of spiritual oppression. And the promise that we one day will experience a full freedom from sickness and death. That's the big picture. And then we also know inside this big picture that God's heart is for the good of his people. And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his promise. Here's what Paul just said to us. That God works even in situations like COVID or even in cancer or even in suffering or even in Afghanistan for the good of his people. And we know that to be true. The problem is, is, when we get to the particular level, right? When that story hits home because it's about my family or my friends or my workplace or my country or my community. And So then the answer to that question of why does Jesus not work here and now in my life about this particular thing? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know, I don't, I don't know why your mom got that diagnosis and I don't know why you were the one who got downsized. I don't know why you had to watch your family fall apart. I don't know. I don't want to I don't know why they changed your degree program and now you're another year behind. I don't know why you got a flat tire. But what we do know is that Mark chapter 1 isn't the end of the story, that the end of the story is Jesus, the one with all authority, chooses suffering. That Jesus does not, at the cross, exercise his authority over Roman soldiers. And he doesn't exercise his authority over his own physical body. And he doesn't exercise his authority over being falsely accused by Pharisees and Sadducees. He doesn't exercise his authority when he could. And the reason he doesn't is because he's going to endure suffering on the cross for you and me in our place. That Jesus is taking the worst evil of all time and turning it into good by not exercising his authority. And it's possible that in the middle of your suffering and my suffering, possible is not a good word. It is promised that in the middle of your suffering and my suffering that Jesus is with us doing the same exact thing even if we can't see it or connect all the dots right now or ever but the kingdom is coming jesus is coming a second time to set all things right jesus is has promised his disciples his followers that he is with them that he will never leave leave them or forsake them and jesus is in the business of turning our suffering into good I don't know the particulars of your situation, but what I do know is it seems a much better solution to your problem to continue to trust in the one who has that authority instead of leaving him behind. So what does this mean for us today? Well, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, if you've never trusted Jesus' authority, we would just today invite you to do that, to respond in faith, to maybe just look at this story and go, hey, it's unbelievable that in one Saturday, like in one Saturday, it's, it's like I'm, I did a good job if I finished cutting the grass, right? In one Saturday... Jesus commands his authority in teaching. Jesus commands his authority in the spiritual realm. And Jesus commands his authority over the physical. That's something different. And to know that this same Jesus with authority laid down his authority in order to serve you. To draw you into a relationship with God. To pay the penalty of sin for you in your place. So today I I would say uh, maybe today is the day that you place yourself under the authority of Jesus. And then for those of us who are believers, who are followers of Jesus, the invitation would be, would you continue today to place yourself under Jesus' authority? That instead of chasing after new authorities everywhere else, but realize, realize that your life makes sense. Your life flourishes when it's under the authority of Jesus, the true king. Let me pray for us.